0: Hello there, I'm D-Ready and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we're chatting to Clinico founder Joel Friedlander about how they've accelerated the digital transformation of tens of thousands of healthcare businesses over the past decade. We recently spoke with Joel to learn more about Clinico's approach as a practice management solution for clinics and health practitioners, what the future holds for the health tech industry, and how the events around COVID-19, and telehealth in particular, have dramatically changed healthcare practices for good. We'll also hear about the importance of robust data security in an otherwise personal, hands-on industry, and how Clinico balanced those practices in different regions across the globe. It's certainly something that we can appreciate, having recently shared our news that Intercom has successfully completed a HIPAA attestation examination. Jill had tons of great insights to share, so let's head over to the studio and hear from him. So, Joe, we are so delighted to welcome you to the show today. To kick things off, would you like to share a little bit about yourself and how you ended up as founder at Clinico, the practice management software used by more than 30,000 people in over 70 countries? Sure.
1: So, my background is as a software developer. I've been doing that for just over 20 years and about 10 years ago, uh, just over, I started the journey with Clinico. So I was working at the time as a software development manager in a small company. And my partner, who's an osteopath, had been asking me for quite a while to make some software for the allied health industry, as she saw a need for it. And there wasn't much modern software around at the time. So in the end, I quit my job doing that. We took out a loan against our house to do a reno, but instead used it to build a company and just started building out what is now Clinico. It it took about seven months from the time I started working on it till we sort of launched publicly. And then it's just gone better than we expected since.
0: Yeah. I mean, that must have been quite a nerve wracking time in that you you were really putting all your eggs in one basket.
1: Um, it, it, it sounds like it would be more than it was. I think I wasn't so happy in the job that I was doing and the potential upside to be able to work for myself uh, and start a business was big. So it was probably exciting. And in the worst case scenario, it wasn't so bad. So we were just both super keen to give it a good go.
0: Yeah. And I guess I suppose in your relationship, you know, between the two of you, you've got sort of that intersection of technology and healthcare, um, and that's reflected in the product that you built together.
1: Absolutely. It was a huge bonus to have someone, you know, side by side with me that knew, you know a user of the potential system and knew what it needed to do and how it needed to work. It was essential.
0: So as you say, you started it just over a decade ago with what was originally, I guess, quite a a straightforward or simple idea from your partner who wanted this booking system. In your opinion, how has the health tech landscape changed in that period? Because presumably it's been a time of quite dramatic change for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the most significant change from back then is that a large number of systems now are web-based, which they weren't at that time. At the time when we launched Clinico, being web-based was quite a point of difference. And I think that, you know, the software industry was already there. There was a lot of applications already moving web-based, but in the allied health space specifically, maybe it was that little bit behind. So I don't think we were doing anything revolutionary, but we were using what was being successful elsewhere and modern software practices and bringing it to an industry uh, that didn't have it. So a lot of people back then, they were still hosting their software on servers in their clinics. They were, you know, sort of Windows installed software. They couldn't use Mac or something if they wanted to. And I think that's the most significant change that now so many people, you know, Clinico and others are web-based and give practitioners a lot less tech to worry about in having to manage their network and servers and also the ability to access their information outside of the clinic. Uh, Probably in the last 10 years, that's been the most significant shift.
0: And do you think with people, you know, with the apps that people use in their day-to-day life, you know, the patients overall are are more, you know, more open to using a tech-based health product?
1: Absolutely. I think they're more comfortable with their information being stored in it and particularly Mm -hmm. maybe around the booking side, which is probably where the patients interact the most with a system like ours, they, they almost expect now to be able to book in from their phone or online in some capacity, whereas it wasn't the case even just a few years ago.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess, you know, when you, when you have users who are used to being able to order food and watch and track the delivery from, from the restaurant to their door, it makes sense then that you would be able to do, you know, similar functions when it comes yeah. to managing your health.
1: Absolutely. And I think there's two parts. One is the convenience of it and the ability to book in at a time when the clinic might not be open and taking your call. And the other part, specifically to the healthcare sector, is you might be booking in for an appointment that might be a little bit sensitive or private and not having to announce on the phone what you're booking in if you're at work during the day or something like that. Being able to discreetly do it via an online booking can also be beneficial in in this context.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think obviously in the last year, there's probably been some fairly dramatic changes and we'll get to that in a little while. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about how COVID has impacted those trends as well. But before we do that, I know from reading about Clinico that you've always operated as a remote first working company. So can you tell me a little bit about why you felt this decision was right for you and your team when you started off?
1: Sure. So definitely our first hire to the company was a developer. We're based in Melbourne, Australia, and it was a developer in Poland. And that was back in 2012. Um, and it kind of started our company as being remote, but it wasn't intentional at the time. I would like to say that I had you know, this big vision that we're going to be a remote company and all the benefits for it. But really, I put up a job ad that said looking to hire a developer in Melbourne. And I thought I wanted someone to sit side by side with and work with. It just so happened that this person that applied didn't care much for the requirement of being in Melbourne and applied anyway. And when right. we went through all the applications, they were the the standout one. And we were we were open to it. You know, we're not so set in stone that like here's what we thought we wanted, we've got to stick to it. We were open to that and, and ended up pursuing it and it worked out brilliantly for us.
0: That's amazing. Um I love that they just ignored the 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 requirement to be in, in Melbourne. Fair play to them.
1: Absolutely.
0: Was that quite unusual, though, you know, 10 or even five years ago to be building up a team where everyone's in different places in different countries?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that people did hire particularly developers overseas, but not in the same way. I think people might outsource at the time. So they would go to a company in a, you know, typically a a cheaper demographic area. uh, And that was the key reason to be doing it as well, was to save on price if local developers were expensive. But this was quite different. This was just hiring the best person we could find. And it turned out they weren't in Australia for us. And in bringing that person on, we obviously started to set up systems and processes that worked with a remote team because we needed to. And then as that had worked so well for us, next time we were looking to hire, we just felt like, why are we going to be restricted to someone you know within certain kilometers from where we're working, as opposed to look anywhere in the world to find the best person? Um, And and I think it was unusual. I know, you know, when I had chats with my family, they wouldn't understand how that could work. They'd be asking me questions like, well, how do you know they're doing any work or things like that? So it was definitely much more unusual at the time, you know, in 2012 than it is now. But still, I think even now, uh, there's a long way to go before remote work is is done by a lot of companies and maybe done properly.
0: Yeah, I think you're right there. I mean, surely it's been quite advantageous for you in the past year to have that remote working culture already built up.
1: For sure. Uh, I think it's been advantageous for us since day one. I'm a big advocate for it. I know that it's been, you know, part of the reason of our success of our company has been the way we're working like that, but definitely through COVID and lockdowns, you know, it it still has an effect on everyone and it has an effect on our team and our company, but we didn't have to change our work situation. We were well set up for that and and that was a big help.
0: And how big is the team now, Joel, and, and where are people based and with what functions?
1: So we're about 45 people now and we have people in Australia, the US, Canada, Brazil, Portugal, um, UK, Ireland, um, Scotland, uh, soon to be France. someone's moving at the moment, Malaysia, I'll probably forget some, uh, but really uh, have people um, all over the place and one in the Philippines as well. So just like I said, when we're hiring, uh, we're just looking for where can we find the best person and the location doesn't matter. The only exception to that would be um, when we're hiring for support, if we need to cover a particular time zone, but then we're hiring for that time zone. We're not hiring a location still.
0: Sure. And I was going to ask about that. Presumably it means that you can have that sort of 24 hour service, which for, you know, being in healthcare, it's, it's probably quite important to you to be able to offer that.
1: Absolutely. And that came about sort of naturally for us. We weren't aiming for 24 hour coverage, but as we started to hire more people, our support team actually got together themselves and just said, you know what, we're we're already covering most of the times. What if we schedule a bit better and we do make sure we've got 24 hour coverage and they just did that amongst themselves. So we do have that 24 hour coverage at least during the week now, but it almost happened by accident just by having these people in different regions when we needed them.
0: Well it's organic and I suppose it's a sign of a good support team that they realized that there was something that they could offer and better.
1: Absolutely and it has been really good for our customers to know there's always someone about.
0: So look, you know to go back to the sort of the covid side of things and other people having to to go remote uh, whereas you were used to it, it has been over a year since, you know, a lot of companies across the world have been forced to adopt that practice in some places you know, like Ireland, for example, we don't know when we'll be back in the office just yet. So rather than ask your tips on remote work team building, because I think that's fairly well covered ground at the moment, I'd love to know what your advice for creating a sustainable team culture is. You know, how do you mark achievements or life events? How do you manage when you have to have in-person meetings, you know, to someone that that might actually be local?
1: Sure. So, my number one tip for like culture in a remote company that I would normally give is the least helpful during COVID, which is we have <laughs> um, yearly team meetups, or, or, you know, every second year we have team meetups. And I think that has been really good for us as a team over time. So, you know, our team really, even though it's a remote team, it doesn't feel like a bunch of contractors. People really uh, have close friendships with people all over the place. And I think our meetups had uh, had a big impact on that and helped a lot that we would get together for some smaller meetups. And every two years or so, we would do the full team somewhere in the world. But um, that's obviously not possible at the moment. and hasn't been possible for us either uh, for the last year and a half or so. So I think that one thing we do is we use a, a team chat tool. We use Slack for our team chat. And I think having plenty of space in there for non-work discussion is a big help. So we have a lot of channels that aren't about work. We have a DIY channel. We have a channel about books, a channel about food, a channel about beverages, which is mostly a channel about coffee. But we have a whole bunch of different channels to try and encourage chat on different topics. And we have a a channel just called Social, where um, anything not work-related can sort of fall into that one. But we also invite uh, people in the team's partners into that channel. Because a lot of times we find people in the team will sit with Slack on their phone and they'll get messages from people in the team, funny jokes, whatever, and it's a bit isolating from them and their family where they've got it. So we make sure to invite uh, everyone's partners as well into that channel so they can join in and be a part of things. And then that's also the place where we'll celebrate birthdays, work anniversaries, things like that uh, on the social side.
0: Now, that is something I've never heard before. That is really, really interesting. Do you think, you know, where did the idea for that come about? And do you think it was in any way inspired by the fact that you and your partner had started the company together?
1: I think, I I don't know if it was from that or not, but I think we kind of had a realization that people's partners are a part of their work, whether they're actively included or not. People at the end of their day of work are going to go back to their partner. They're going to talk about the people at their work and their partner's going to be involved. It's going to know, they're going to know what they're up to. They're going to know who they work with, but it's all from the outside and it's a little bit odd. So that partner knows all the people at the company, but none of the people at the company know the partner. And I think in general, we just have this disconnect that doesn't need to be there. So we, we have this social channel to try and encourage them to come and, you know, be involved and be themselves in their business. And then when we have meetups, partners are always uh, invited to them. And even when we do our full team meetup every couple of years, uh, we invite and pay for partners and kids to come along to those because we think, you know, like I said, the family's already a part of it, but maybe the business is excluding them and, and we would want to not do that and just involve them where we can.
0: Gosh, that's really, really unique, but a very interesting idea. And I can see how that would work especially well at the moment.
1: Absolutely. Especially with people working from home, I think their partners are more involved in their work than ever. So uh, it, it would be a boost now.
0: Yeah, because your partner kind of becomes your only workmate, I guess.
2: Absolutely. The first episode is out now. You can watch it
1: on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode.
0: Joel, to broaden things out a bit, how do you feel that the health tech industry overall has been affected by COVID? Like, Do you feel that there's been an acceleration of trends that maybe you've been observing before?
1: Yeah, I think it's brought a few things forward that were always in the works and starting to come about but it now hit the forefront and probably the most obvious and, and biggest one is telehealth. So mm. a lot of clinics went through lockdown and they weren't able to operate person to person and they either wanted to find ways to help people that still needed their services, that couldn't go face to face, or they just wanted to have a way to still bring in some extra revenue to their business and keep themselves relevant and in touch with their patients for when they get to reopen again. And I think that largely telehealth has been the answer to both of those for many clinics. And it's not that telehealth wasn't around already, but we've brought it forward, you know, the advancement telehealth come forward many, many years in the space of the last 12 months. So many clinics have adopted it, tried it out, and I hear from so many that they plan to incorporate it into what they do moving forward. And I think that, you know, th- there's a lot of benefits for telehealth. Un- other than the COVID side and the ability to keep operating, if not face-to-face. But there's some places like regional areas that don't have access to healthcare that could get it via telehealth, and that's a real enabler for them. There could be people with disabilities that aren't able to leave the home to go and receive the healthcare they need that could do via telehealth. Elderly people, there's a whole range of people that I think it makes uh, healthcare available to that's not without telehealth.
0: Yeah, because I was going to ask, you know, have there been areas of of your business, and presumably telehealth falls into this, that you've had to prioritize um differently to what you'd maybe anticipated in your roadmap?
1: Yeah, last year, around March, it would have been when this was all uh, unfolding quite quickly. We pretty much put a hold on all the development work we're doing and just uh, took a step back and said, what's going to help our customers through the next six months, assuming lockdowns, assuming covid ramps up like it did Uh, and telehealth was the obvious front runner so that was the first thing we did we switched to working on an incorporated sort of an inbuilt telehealth solution into Clinico and we got that done into beta within about seven days so the whole team just scrounged and worked on that quickly and then there was other things like allowing patients to fill in forms online um, and signatures on forms and things like this that we did throughout the time as well. It was really just prioritizing whatever people needed as it went along. And mostly, I think just being adaptable was important because, you know, no one knew what was going to happen next. And we just had to be ready to, to change if we needed to.
0: Yeah. And, you, you know, I suppose being able to offer people that extra avenue to access healthcare in the middle of everything that's going on is, is probably a huge boost to people.
1: Yeah, I think so. Definitely, you know, people wanted some some help to be able to still operate and then maybe even some inspiration and some things that we tried to help with was providing some educational material on different ways they could operate their business during lockdown uh, that perhaps they hadn't thought of. And we got some experts in to help us provide some information to try you know, inspire them a little bit for stuff they could do uh, when they couldn't do their normal operation.
0: That's great, because sometimes it's hard to think laterally when you're in panic mode. And tell me, do you feel that a lot more clinics, companies, patients have come online, obviously, in that period than you would have anticipated otherwise?
1: For sure. We saw, as a business, we saw growth over last year. And we, like many companies, were were buckling up for a downturn. We knew that our customers were going to get hit by lockdown. And we assumed that we would say, you know, a decent number of customers need to drop out at least for a while. But we saw growth during that period. And I think that's because a lot of clinics that weren't online already, it was the time to move online. All of a sudden, they couldn't go into their clinic. And that meant they couldn't access their records because the records were sitting on a server in there. So uh, I think that a, a big drive for the growth we saw was you know people going online and, uh, you know, maybe switching to telehealth as well, but just getting online in general. I'm sure was big last year.
0: And looking to the future then beyond COVID, what do you think the future holds for the sector? Will there be more people like you mentioned that have adopted things like telehealth during this period that will actually make a part of their business? Where do you see everything going?
1: Yeah, I think it was an eye opener for a lot of people. And I think that you know, there's many, especially the physical therapies like uh, physiotherapy, osteopathy, podiatry, some of those uh, chiropractic, their staple is going to be hands-on treatments. But I do think that even those those ones, they did learn that they can do a lot of value add via telehealth. There's been interesting studies coming out for physiotherapy showing that it's as effective or better via telehealth than it is hands-on. And that's a directly you know, physical therapy, uh, you know, manual manipulation type uh, healthcare service. So I think that the, the information was gained during that time and the ability for people to realize they can add value in other ways. And, you know, maybe even an advantage of telehealth is if it's a follow-up session to make sure someone's doing their exercises, well, that can be done via telehealth. But maybe every second session you have them come in or something like that. So I think a lot of businesses are considering how to incorporate it into their workflow And then I think there's other modalities like psychology as a good example that could even move a lot more towards telehealth.
0: Yeah, because I suppose for certain types of therapy, it would probably be quite beneficial to the patient to be in the security of their own home.
1: Absolutely. We've heard that from a number of them as well, that they're having more success, at least with some of their clients, more success via telehealth than not. So again, that lends itself to a bit of a mixed offering where it can be telehealth for those that uh, it's better for and others can still come in if they need to.
0: And I love that statistic that you shared about physiotherapy. I mean, it'd be so interesting to have that as a blended type of therapy in the future.
1: Yeah, I found it fascinating because it's such a hands-on thing. And what I loved about it was uh, one of the key hypotheses from it was that people don't do their exercises when they come in to see the physiotherapist. So they come in and the physiotherapist does its work and and they go away and think, oh, I'm fixed. But when they have a session (laughs) via telehealth, they know no one's touched them. And if they don't do their exercises, nothing's happening. So they actually, you know, more compliance for the exercises and a better result long term.
0: I have been guilty of doing that exact thing that you've described. So I can see that I would be a very good candidate for that sort of treatment myself. Yeah, I'm exactly the um, same. Yeah. So one thing you mentioned there, Joel, you know, around COVID and clinics having to adopt moving online was around the records, the the medical health records that they they might have had but not had access to at the time. I think that kind of points to a, a broader sort of issue within health tech around and, and what you do, I mean, you man, must manage the data of millions of patients across the globe at this stage. I assume then that with what you do, you need to have really robust data practices. Like it must be of utmost importance to the cut companies that you're working with.
1: That's right. I think the biggest risk to any health tech company would be data loss or a data breach or something like that. So it's a lot of our time and effort that goes into it. And I remember, you know, somewhat begrudging it in starting on Clitico because it's a lot of overhead and a lot of work and you don't feel like you're, you know, you're doing the business value add stuff that you want to do. You're not adding new features that customers are excited for. You're doing things behind the scenes that no one ever knows about or cares, but it's essential. So I I remember begrudging it early on, but I guess as a business, it becomes somewhat of a competitive advantage later that you've done those things and you've put that work in because anyone else in the space will need to do the same. But we also uh, particularly have a lot of legislations to deal with because we have customers in more than 70 countries. So it is in Australia where I am, we've got Australian privacy principles. We need to meet the requirements. We've got GDPR in Europe um, and possibly UK uh, with how it's panning out. We've got HIPAA in the United States. There's different, again, for Canada. Uh, so we need to meet all of the requirements. We can't just pick one. And it, it is onerous, but it also gives some comfort in, you know, how secure our system becomes.
0: Yeah, well, there's there's colleagues of mine that can probably very much appreciate the, the challenges that you go through on that. We, we've recently offered clients the ability to store and process healthcare data in a HIPAA compliant manner on Intercom. But I was going to ask you, you know, how do you go about adapting your product to the different data practices in different regions like GDPR that you mentioned, like HIPAA that we were talking about there?
1: Sure. So thankfully, so far, we haven't had clashes where to be HIPAA compliant, you can't be GDPR compliant or something like that. So we are Mm -hmm. able to kind of aggregate the requirements and build it all into the same product. But uh, one thing I'd say with HIPAA specifically is it has some requirements that can be onerous to the person using the system and restrictive to the person using the system. So with those, we put them in as options within the software. So if you want HIPAA compliance, you can turn that on and that's going to take away some functionality. As an example, the ability to email anything that could have uh, personal information in it, you can't do that. So we remove that option if you turn on the HIPAA compliance. But we don't do that to everyone because some people it's okay to do in their legislation and it's a useful feature. So it's a little bit of opt-in for people using to meet their requirements
0: okay so it's all it's all down to the settings that you as a clinic would set up at the start of using it, and then clinico essentially helps you to you know saves you from yourself and saves you from creating a breach
1: exactly you know it's not on us to enforce upon people these things; okay. we just want to make it as easy as possible for them to meet the the rules because ultimately the rules are, are really binding them more than us, so we need to do our bit to support them
0: obviously that's that's a huge challenge for you in building out all these different supports for people. Do you think in the future, we will see more or less um, consistency in these types of of compliance across regions?
1: For, For a while, I was thinking with like globalization, these things have to start to merge. But if anything, we see them going in a different direction. And every country or even if you look in Canada, different provinces are coming up with their own their own rules and legislations. So even though ideally I would like to see, you know, a a global uh, consensus on it, the the trend is that it's getting more granular and that everywhere is doing their own and also, you know, a lot more requirements to store information only within uh, that area as well. So I think the trend shows us, no, that it's getting
0: harder. That's interesting to see. It kind of feels like moving backwards to a certain extent. Before we finish up, Joel, uh, one question that we love to ask people on the podcast is whether there's someone in their discipline that they aspire to or are inspired by.
1: I can't think of any offhand. I'm terrible at reading books and I don't really follow along with a a lot of uh, sort of, I don't know, what other companies are doing. I think one of the core philosophies we've kind of had is that every business is different. And we really just want to operate our company uh, as best makes sense for us. So uh, probably uh, an obvious example would be we're a software company, but we shouldn't copy what Google does because what Google does is very different to what we should do for success. They're a very different business, a very different scale, all those kind of things. So for the most part, I would say um, I keep my head down and focus on our company and just look at, you know, what solutions we need and and aren't really following what others do so much. So I don't have a particular person that I would say I'm inspired by or uh, trying to uh, aspire to.
0: Well, that's fair. And I think it's, you know, in hearing your story and in hearing the story of Clinico, it sounds like you've done that from the start. it has been working pretty well for you. Um, So we'll allow that as an answer. Lastly, then, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work?
1: So we're doing some video content for Clinico that they can find on YouTube on our Clinico channel. Uh, And for myself, I'm Jay Friedlander on Twitter that could follow me there. I can't say I'm super active.
0: Fantastic. Well, look, we will link to both of those in the show notes. And yeah, just been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Joel Friedlander. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps like-minded people find their way to our content. We'll be back next week with another great episode of Scale by Intercom for you. We do hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.